1: is always with us and that should give us strength. It should give us hope and it should give us solace and it should give us peace. The presence of the Lord is always our strength. He is always our strength and in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. Therefore we can say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Exactly. So in his presence is fullness of joy. For His presence, we get that fullness and He becomes our strength.
0: Could you use some extra peace or strength right now? If so, the good news is that there is plenty ready to be given to you. In today's message, Pastor Dave will teach you that the only place to find complete peace and fullness of joy is the same today as it was when Solomon began his reign over 2,000 years ago. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 1 as he begins his introduction to the book of 2 Chronicles.
1: First and Second Chronicles was one book or one scroll in the original manuscripts. But when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, does anybody know what that's called? The Septuagint. It's called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. When they did that in about 200 BC, they separated them and they made them two books, if you will. The writer of First and Second Chronicles is called by all the scholars the chronicler because we don't know who he is. We don't know who that person is. Many, many scholars believe it could be the scribe Ezra because of some of the things that are said there, and it goes right into the book of Ezra after 2 Chronicles. But we don't know, so we can't be dogmatic about it. It was probably written in the 5th century B.C. when the Jews were returning from their exile in Babylon. As the Jews came back, they desperately needed encouragement. They had been away for 70 years. An entire new generation was born in captivity. They didn't know who God was. They might have heard stories, but they had no relationship with him. They heard these stories and things, but they needed encouragement. And when they got back to the land, basically there was nothing there. There was absolutely nothing there, so they were just struggling to survive. No temple. They couldn't go and seek the Lord. There was no king. It seemed like they had no direction. Those who were born during that time, like I said, didn't know God, had no relationship with him at all, didn't know where they come from as a people. And why they were sent there, why they were brought out. They lacked knowledge of the one true living God, Jehovah, and what he had done for the nation. So this becomes a history lesson. And I said that about 1 Chronicles, it was a history lesson. And this is a complete and comprised history of the nation Israel, sort of. It's focused on Judah. Chronicles focuses on Judah mainly when they returned from exile. They needed a reminder of who God was and how he worked. And history is the best way to tell them that. One author I read said, quote, The author uses the history of Judah to demonstrate that God blesses his people when they remain faithful and joyfully worship him. Unquote. Think about that. You are God's children. We sang about that. I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. And if we are a children of God, then He will bless us if we remain faithful and joyfully worship Him and seek Him with our whole hearts. He is always faithful. He's never faithless. Though we may be faithless, He can't deny Himself. So the history of the nation Israel is actually a call to worship. And it's an invitation to hope in the one true living God. The nation Israel needed to know that If their struggling community would put God first, like their forefathers did, and if they would commit their ways to him and worship him as the one true living God, he would then show his faithfulness to them. What a lesson we should learn, right? It's a lesson for us today. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. But God comes first in a nation that was founded on godly principles by men who sought freedom of religion, by men who sought to worship God in their way, free, a nation that was founded on biblical principles, the divine creator in the Declaration of Independence. Look where we've come from. Look where we are now. If the nation is ever in need of a reminder, it's now. The reason the chronicler follows Judah is because he's following the line of David. It was ever so important. Remember, in 1 Chronicles, we looked at the life of David and how God had promised him that one would sit on his throne forever. And David knew it meant the Messiah, that David would have a long-lasting dynasty, and that dynasty still exists today because Jesus Christ is on the throne. And Jesus came from the lineage of David. So we see that here. And the Chronicler follows now through and looks at David and his lineage all through Judah. Basically, the northern kingdom of Israel is really not even mentioned. But we studied that at length when we studied 1 and 2 Kings. We studied the northern kingdom. So 2 Chronicles covers the time from Solomon in about 971 BC all the way until the time that the southern kingdom of Judah is carried away to Babylon in about 586 BC. The focus is the southern kingdom, as I said, because the author was more concerned about telling the story of David's descendants. What's the application for us before we move on? Why is this important to study this in historical writings? Why are we here? And some of you might have asked the question, and it's okay if you did. Why are we stuck in the Old Testament? Dave, I love the New Testament. Well, just like the Israelites, history can jog memories. History can jog our memories. We need to remember, I need to remember, and I'm suggesting that you also need to remember times that God blessed you. time that God was faithful in various situations in your life where he poured out his blessings upon you abundantly, exceedingly and abundantly above all you could ever dream or ask. Where he continued to do that and even today does that. I think it's good to recall that. I think it's good to bring that back, bring that forth, and go, wow, look, God was faithful during that time. He brought me through that. I mean, think about it. You're here today. Some of you probably think, well, I would have never made it. You're here right now. It's important that we remember these things, and it encourages us to press onward. It encourages us to move forward in God's love, to move forward in holiness, to move forward with hope, and to move forward in confidence, because God is faithful. As I said, I can never say it enough that God is faithful. Say it with me. God is faithful. He is. He's faithful. And he wants to remember the work he's doing in you, just like he wanted the Israelites to remember the work he was doing in the nation Israel. All along, all the way from Adam, all the way up now to Solomon as we begin. Why? Why? So that we can praise him. So that we can bring glory to his name. So that we can have confidence in him that he'll see it through. He'll be there at the end because he's a faithful God. Jeremiah 29, 11, you know it. You quoted many, many times the plans I have for you. Plans for a future and a hope. God has these plans. Myself, I know some of you also keep a prayer journal. You keep a prayer, journal of prayers that you've said, things like that. I suggest that every now and then, go back to one of those old bad boys. Open one of those gnarly books up and look back. And you went, whoa, and see God's faithfulness all the way through. Man, is that an encouraging thing to do? I do that from time to time. In fact, I even take and put stars beside the various prayers. I think it's incredible to watch God work mightily. I've seen him do mighty works in this church alone. I've seen what he's done in my life and in your life. I watch it. So that's history. That is what history is. In 2 Chronicles, we continue to see God's faithfulness to a nation. And as we see this, we can be confident that he who began the work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can be confident in that because he doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The way he worked here, the way he works here, the way he works here, his faithfulness is all renowned. That being said, let's begin. Second Chronicle begins after David's death. King David has died and he has anointed Solomon, his son by Bathsheba, I might add, to the throne. Solomon is now on the throne. Let's start with verse 1. Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. The book opens with Solomon establishing his throne over what is then a unified Israel. There is no northern kingdom nor southern kingdom at this time. Solomon is king over all of Israel. It is a time of great peace, and it is a time of great prosperity. Things are really cooking in Israel at this time. Solomon's father, David, had defeated all of Israel's enemies. He subdued them, all of them. And what is interesting, I've probably mentioned this when we studied 2 Kings, or 1 Kings, I can't remember, I think of 1 Kings. Solomon in Hebrew means man of peace. So Solomon was a peacekeeper. But David had secured that peace and made Solomon's life very cushy. <laughs> you know, He spoiled his son rotten. The life he had was cushy because of all the things that David had done. He was the beneficiary. But notice in verse 1, the main reason Solomon's kingdom was strengthened. Who can tell me? Read it. Look what it says. Why was Solomon's kingdom strengthened? The Lord was with him. God was with him. That is something that we need to take to heart, guys. That is something we need to think about. Here, Solomon basically takes a page from his father David. Look at, what does it say? The Lord, who? His God. Solomon was accepting Jehovah as his God. This was huge, folks. He was accepted. Maybe it became personal to him, just like his father, David. Solomon starts out in the right direction, guys. He starts out in the right direction, praise God. He's moving forward, seeking the Lord. The Lord is strengthening him. The Lord is exalting him. Woohoo! Things are good. Hold on to your hat. Anyhow, we see in Joshua 1, verse 9, God says to Joshua, and the Lord, your God, will be with you. Many times through scripture, we hear that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you always. We know that he will never leave nor forsake us. Jesus told the disciples, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. Our God is always with us, and that should give us strength. It should give us hope, and it should give us solace, and it should give us peace. The presence of the Lord is always our strength. He is always our strength. And in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. Therefore, we can say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. strength. Exactly. So in his presence is fullness of joy. For his presence, we get that fullness and he becomes our strength. Did Solomon learn this from David? Possibly. We don't know. But David had this confidence David had this confidence, and when he wrote Psalm 27, he said, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When you enter into the presence of God, you have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear at all, because God is with you. What can man do to you? Well, they can kill you. Really? That's a win win. I'm going to be with the Lord. What are they going to do with me? There's nothing like the presence of God. You've experienced individually. You may experience collectively with other people. But there was a time in your life when you've experienced the presence of the Lord. It wasn't some gooey emotional thing either. But you knew he was there. You knew his presence was felt. David had a glimpse of this. He had a glimpse of the power and the presence of God. And once he tasted it, he couldn't get enough. David couldn't get enough. And I love this about David. I love this about him because he wanted everything God had for him. I do too. If God wants it for me, I want it. I want it. You want me to have that gift, Lord? I want it. Even if it's just for one time, I don't care. You want me to speak in tongues? I want it. You want me to do this? I want it. Every gift available. Yes, I want whatever the Lord wants for me because it's biblical. It's scriptural. I want that. In my heart, I want that. And we should want it too. This is how David was. David knew that if he offered praises to God, that God himself would lift David above his fears. If you're fearful tonight, start praising the Lord. I guarantee you won't be fearful for long. I guarantee you, he will lift you above your fears and you won't have any fear because he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and astound mind. This is great lessons for us. In this time of turmoil, Well, we don't know where to stand when the country is divided politically, when the country is divided racially, when the country is divided socially, when there's all sorts of crazy things happening. We need to be one in God, in Christ. We need to be united as a church. We need to be united more now than ever before. We need to be connected to another because we need one another to stand strong against the devil as he comes against the church and guarantee folks he's coming. Guarantee, the writing's on the wall, and it's not Nebuchadnezzar. The writing is on the wall. They're coming for the church. You watch. Mark my words. Mark my words. You have to have this attitude that God is with us when we go through the midst of trials, when we're in the midst of our enemies, and even when we're just living our daily lives. God is with you. Don't you realize God has placed himself in you by the Holy Spirit? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's put himself in you. That's how crazy he thought we were. Well, you know what? I don't want you to lose me, so I'm going to put myself in you. Thank you, Lord. I won't be able to misplace you. You're with me. Thank you. We need to seek him while he can be found. And Jesus is so worthy of our seeking. Jesus is so worthy because he came and endured a cross for us. That alone makes him more worthy than anything I could ever think of or dream of. He is so worthy because of what he did on that cross. And we know scripture says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not that we seek him for a reward, but what is the reward? Would somebody tell me what the reward of God is? Him. <laughs> the reward of seeking God is him. I seek him because of him. I'm with him. He's presence. Yes, I have salvation. It's gravy. I love it. My favorite line, all this is salvation too. Mark steals my line all the time. Man. <laughs> See, God's beauty and God's wisdom is something that we can behold, something that we can seek after. Like David in Psalm 27, we need to inquire in his temple, his presence, his presence for all that we need. And he gives us everything. And scripture says he's already given us everything for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. How wonderful is that? God there in a time of trouble and we can call upon his name and we can hide and he hides us from the storms. He hides us from the accusations from our enemies and the accusations from our friends. He hides us from these accusations to come around. The key is offering praises and thanksgiving to him even in the midst of these intense situations. Even in the midst when everything seems to be falling apart, you praise him with everything you have. You praise him with your whole entire being regardless. And this is not easy. It's not easy. And I'm not here claiming that it is easy to do this in the midst of a horrible time. But if you work up to it and you just start believing and trusting, oh my goodness, his presence comes on you and you run into his arms and he just envelops you with his arms and pulls you close to him. Pulls you close to him because he loves you so much. God dwells in that secret place and I want to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I want to be there. I want to see him. I want to touch him. I want to hear his voice. That's what his presence means. And David knew that. He knew that the ultimate place of peace, the ultimate rest for his soul was the presence of God. And he found the presence of God through his praise. You know, Scripture says God inhabits the praises of his people. We can feel him moving through here sometimes by his spirit. Praise opens the door to the presence of God. And we can praise him anywhere in the car, in our offices, walking in our neighborhoods. Yes, people will think you're crazy. Praise God. Hey, brother. Yeah, right. That's okay. Somebody pulls up beside you on a red light and you're singing praises. They look over and you go, oh, and they roll the window up real fast. But Solomon seemed to know this too at first. Solomon seemed to glean this. He seemed to glean this. Unfortunately, it was short-lived. Unfortunately, it was very short-lived. And this is what I see, and this is how I'm equating it to America. You know, America started out on the right foot, and we were on the right path for a long time, but all of a sudden, we started to go downhill. Solomon was on the right path. He was leading the nation in the right direction to God. And we're going to read about that right now. Look at verses two through five. And Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and every leader in all Israel and the heads of the father's houses. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tabernacle of meeting. With God was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But David had brought up the ark of the God from Kirjath-Jerim to the place David had prepared for it, for he had pitched the tent in Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar that was Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord Solomon and his assembly sought him there so they go up to Gibeon because that's where the tabernacle is it's interesting why did they go to the tabernacle what would lead them to the tabernacle well for one thing that's where Moses went to meet with God the ark of the covenant was in the tent at the threshing floor of Ornan remember on Mount Moriah that's where the ark of the covenant was rested that's where David put it remember in the last couple chapters of first chronicles okay when David brought it back he did that there We don't really know why he placed it there, but he felt like God was telling him to put it there. Now, we do know that this would be the eventual place for the temple. So it was God's plan that the ark stayed there. But he went with all of Israel to Gibeon where the old tabernacle was, the tabernacle of meeting, the big tent, you know, the great big tent place. Why would he go there? It says so right in here. The bronze altar was there. What was the bronze altar used for? Sacrifice, yes, it was used for atoning sacrifice, absolutely. They went there because that's where they went to sacrifice. That was a sacrificial place at the time. It wasn't at the Ark of the Covenant at the time. It was there at the tabernacle Meaning, So Solomon is doing everything right. He's doing it according. Now, the bronze altar, you can read about it in Exodus 36, verses 1 and 2, when it was made. Do you realize at this point, the bronze altar is some 500 years old? The bronze altar is five hundred years old at this point. So, what do they do when they get there? Look at verse six. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle middle, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Who? That's a lot of bull. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all week. Tip your waitress. I'll be here all week. I don't know. I don't know. You imagine a thousand bulls, goats, whatever? Do you imagine that? That's how rich Solomon was. That shows you the richness he had to offer those things, to make that offering there for the whole assembly. He was there, and he went up there, and he did it. Now, I'm sure that Solomon didn't do it. I'm sure the priest did it because that was the correct way. Solomon wasn't a priest, and he wasn't supposed to do it. He was the king. The king was not the priest. Remember when we studied, some of the kings in the northern kingdom got in trouble because they did sacrifices they weren't supposed to? So we have to remember that. Solomon couldn't do that, so I'm sure one of the priests did it.
0: You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave has been working his way through the book of Second Chronicles. Before you assume that this book entails a bunch of details from the past that don't really affect you today, make sure you take some time to appreciate what this book offers. In addition to the history of the Israelite people, you get to know the rise and fall of many kings. They were all sinners who needed a savior. They were just like every person today, no matter their status, who needs a savior. Do you know this savior, Jesus? If you do, you've come to greatly value what this means in your life. If you're unfamiliar with the concept, We want to help you understand that. No one has it all figured out on their own. For sure, no one is capable of living without sin and error. But what you need to realize is that there's a sure hope through the Savior, Jesus Christ. His willingness to be traded for your sins makes all the difference. By knowing Him personally and believing in Him, you get to move forward with life, knowing you're not perfect, but that God's bringing you into something better. The ministry of Assure Hope comes out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. If you're in the area, we'd love to worship God together with you this weekend. Head over to AssureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. If you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. That's all we have for today, but we look forward to connecting with you again on the next edition of Assure Hope.